Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Travis Stefan on the line. Travis, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you here. You have got an interesting background. So for those that aren't aware of what you've done and what you're doing, why don't you share a little bit about you and we'll dive into the conversation. Sure thing. Uh, let's see, I've been starting, scaling, and selling technology companies in Silicon Valley and Los Angeles for the past 14 years. Been fortunate enough to have had eight exits as a founder in that period of time. Um, also have... You know, helped other companies that I've I've been you know helping to grow, exit, or companies that I've been mentoring uh, as well. Um, and let's see, what else can I tell you? Inc. 500 CEO. Um, also, have been featured in most of the major business publications that you've heard of. Uh, I've, I'm a doctoral candidate in marketing. Um, the a growth mentor for the biggest accelerator programs in the world: 500 startups, tech stars, SOSV, etc. Um, so all of those things, when combined, just kind of have allowed me to see a lot of situations. And by the way, there have been other companies I've started that have not exited as well. Like there have been some failures in there too, uh, but most profound growth, growth experiences I've had. So I wouldn't trade those for the world. Yes. As John Maxwell likes to say, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And I think the learning experiences from our missteps, or if you want to call it failures, I always look at it as, you know, yeah. opportunities and experiences, because if, if everything was smooth, then everyone would do it and there would be yeah. nothing really gained. So it's those challenges yeah. that really make us, make us grow and all that. So totally. in the, in these eight exits, let's talk about the first one, and then, uh-huh. uh, and then we'll we'll you know dive in not into all eight of them, but you know what you know what did you learn from the first one that really made you know the next seven much easier? So I'd love to hear. Yeah. A bit well, about I'll that. tell you, but before I do, I want to just speak into what you just said there a little bit because I think it's super super important, and you hear a lot of people say this, but it doesn't oftentimes sink in for folks because they still fear failure so much. Um, so one of the companies I'm building now is called Growth Team. Like we basically act as a um, fractional VP of growth within uh, companies that don't have a growth team or a growth lead, et cetera. Um, and we bring a lot of processes, tools, et cetera, to, to the table. And one of those is high tempo experimentation. And within that realm, um, when you formulate an experiment correctly, which I'm comparing this like a correctly formatted, uh, formatted experiment to starting a company, right? It's the same sort of principle that I'm about to share. Our worst nightmare is not a failed test, right? Our, like when we're experimenting, we're doing so in a way that if we succeed, yes, we move the ball forward. And we also learn something about the customer that's critical to us being able to though, like move forward with confidence with a specific area or not. A failed test in that realm is also incredibly instructive because it shows us This is what was incorrect about our assumptions about this customer. And we iterate the customer avatar accordingly. The worst case scenario is an inconclusive test. Uh, 
So like when you're like trying things, like for me early on my career, the reason I, why I have a lot of exits is like, I tried a lot of things really, really quickly. Some failed, did not exit. Some succeeded. I did sell and some succeeded for a longer period. You know, I would hold companies for as long as five years before selling them. But they're, the companies that were the worst case scenario in there were not the ones that failed and they were not the ones that exited. It was the ones in the middle where it was a good little business, but you had to scratch and claw for every single dollar and you had to work super, super hard just to get a fraction of the results. The person who you see next to you, who you know you're more intelligent than and you know you're more capable than of like that person with their discipline on discovering what works and then committing to it and doubling down on their wins, like that person's going to win way more. Uh, so it's like kind of that middle area. That's the scariest area where you're, you're really busting your butt super, super hard and just getting by. Right. So like in, that was actually one of the, the, like to dovetail into your question, that was my first exit essentially was, was being able to recognize, Hey, this company that I've been building um, is my very first one ever that actually like made any sales whatsoever. I tried a few things beforehand that didn't work. Um, but that was the one that like, you know, I, I paid for that company's expenses with my student loan checks, for example, rather than tuition. Um, and, you know, grinded up a bankroll in online poker and paid for the company's expenses, different things like that got super creative because nobody in their right mind should have lent me money or invested money or anything like that. Um, and at the end of that, at, at the end of the day, what I recognized was, all right, this company can continue to be a good little business, but that's not my destiny here. My destiny is to learn and move forward with the lessons that I've learned. Um, so I've, that company, when, when it sold, it was like just above break even at the end of the day. Um, like, so we sold it for what we could get for it from a strategic buyer, which was a competitor and kind of parlayed all that cash into what came next. Well, that's the thing. And the fact that you were able to uh, just barely break even actually is a win because in many situations, first businesses, you know, you end up taking a bath on it or you, sure. find, or you find yourself that, you know, it's like without you, there is no business. And I see yeah. that a lot with entrepreneurs. They're like, well, I, I want to, you know, sell my business in a few years. It's like, okay, what's to sell? Mm-hmm. And if you're not there, what, is it? And yeah. if there's nothing there, it's like, well, you don't have a business that you can sell. You could mm-hmm. maybe partner up with somebody, bring on some partners, and then they could buy out your percentage of it. I mean, you, yeah. you have that potential thing. But again, you, you're going to yeah. have, it, it's going to get to the point where you, you, uh, you're doing something well and you're not working for anybody but yourself. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, if you're looking for, you know, a gigantic exit from it. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't plan on that unless you do some other steps. So, so having, you know, gone through all that you learned with that first one, and then you said, okay, let's take, let's take these monies. And instead of, you know, going to Vegas and, you know, betting on black, you decided, okay, let's go ahead and, you know, do something else. So what was that something else? Yeah. So the next one, um, I, at the time I was, uh, uh, in grad school for exercise physiology and biomechanics. I started college as a, a collegiate athlete and wanted to go play in the NFL, did not even want to confront the reality that I just was not gifted enough to do so in, in various ways, like physically. Yes. But also the guys that excel at that level are also able to just like automatically think at a speed 
I was unable to think at through the lens of that game. Um, did not have the intuition that many of them had, and they were able. The game was so fast, I would have been too stubborn to quit. Um, so, like, I was in school for that topic because a lot of my teammates were, and I knew that I wasn't going to be a regular jobber at any point in my life. Um, you know, I tried to do that a couple times, quit the first day, did not respect the person I was working for several times because of whatever, right? And just didn't want to be like them. And so I found it difficult to learn. Um, so I, I realized, hey, I'm in school for this. I have like a little bit more credibility than most in this area. So started like that was one of the first like fitness related companies that I started. It was called Workout Box. Um, and it ended up being a platform for personal trainers to monetize their knowledge and start their own online interactive fitness programs uh, on our site and through our marketplace. And we ended up selling it after five years to a um, publicly traded company that was doing a roll-up in the space for SEO-driven businesses, which is what we were. Well, that's great. You took a passion. And you know, this is a little segue off to the side for a second. As fans of professional sport, doesn't matter if it's the NFL, NBA, baseball, hockey, Premier League, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be, we get really upset sometimes mm -hmm. when our team doesn't win or, wow, they're, they're lousy or all that stuff. You know this firsthand mm -hmm. on the, the level that is needed to reach that plateau is, or that level is just insane. It, it, it's it, 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 that's why I'm actually surprised there's not more studies done. And I know you've done a ton of work on it and there's others as well, but it's like, how does someone become a professional NFL player? Mm -hmm. And then yeah. of course, then, then all of a sudden you can start going, okay, well you've made it to that. Now, how do you get to, you know, more rings than digits type of players, like somebody that just recently retired, you know, he's, he's running out of places to put rings. So right. uh, it, it's one of those things like, Oh, how do you do that? Well, there's a lot of factors involved with that, but it's just, yeah. you know, it's just one of those things you recognize that. So you said, okay, I'm curious about this. So I want to mm -hmm. go study this a little yeah. bit more and understand. It's like, I, you know, I'm, it's talented. I've got this, but what, how come I'm here and that person is, is there person. and under, understanding that? Yeah. There are a lot of people that are genetically gifted. There are a lot of hard workers out there. There are very few people who have the necessary cognitive discipline to be able to make it uh, and, and sustain at that level of excellence um, to the point where it does seem like it's pretty darn near impossible. I mean, you have better chances of winning the lottery, it, it seems like in a lot of cases. Uh, one book I would recommend if you want to dive into exactly what that looks like, this one, uh, I know you can barely see the title, but it's called Greatness by Dr. Ave, uh, David L. Cook. Uh, he was the sports psychologist for uh, the uh, San Antonio Spurs dynasty. He has been for a variety of champion professional golfers. He has been uh, for a number of Olympic champions. He is like the gold standard in sports psychology and his methods are absurdly simple, but they must be applied consistently every single day. And that level of consistency from a cognitive perspective is so much more difficult than the level of consistency from a physical perspective. Anybody who, you know, kind of grew up with some grit is able to show up and do what they're told to do. Like that's, that is the truth. And that's how a lot of, you know, collegiate sports programs work. It's how a lot of professional sports programs work. You show up and you do what you're told to do. 
but that's like just to get there and to potentially be there for a little bit, right? Like the biggest difference is what happens between your ears. And we all are kind of wired to think that we're above average thinkers, you know, or we're a little bit more disciplined or we're a little bit more X or Y or Z. And most of us are wrong. Uh, and we're just kind of trying to salvage our own self-esteem. So from my perspective, the best thing, the best uh, path that I've been able to take actually happened after I had an exit go wrong. It was like exit number five um, post sale. You know, we had uh, just a nightmare situation with certain terms. And um, and if we had a, a larger chunk of time, I would tell the whole story. But uh, um, it basically really, really humbled me. And I kind of had to start from scratch, um, you know, because I had played it pretty fast and loose with a lot of what I was what I was getting from these exits and reinvesting 100% of it and, and just continuing to let it ride. Um, and, you know, that one experience was so instrumental to my growth that, you know, from there I was able to say, all right, I'm going to go be a perpetual student. And only when people really, really want to talk about like hard lessons learned and stark realities of, of what the path has been, will I actually like kind of step into that role of a teacher, so to speak. And it hasn't been until like this year that I've said, all right, let's proactively, you know, go help more people in this way uh, because it would be useful. But for a long time and still now, I try to be 90% a student, 10% teacher. And, you know, it'll probably continue to be that forever. Well, it serves you well. And, and I think one of the things that, you know, hopefully you may not have realized it at the early stage of that, that fifth exit that went really, really bad and, and cost you so much was reminding yourself, okay, it, because at that point you, you're like, oh, I, life is horrible. You know, all, all the emotions, all the negative thoughts, all the bad talk, all that stuff starts flowing in. But then, you know, obviously since you've had that was five and you've had eight uh, mm -hmm. people can probably figure out what what happened was once you got over all of that you realize wait a minute i've built mm -hmm. all of these other organizations before yeah. i can do it again but now i've got these additional tools that i didn't have before yeah. and let's go so you know in the time we have left you know the, the next from you know the 6th 7th and 8th ones you know what you know just you know summarize you know what, what were those like uh, were there similarities yeah. were there some differences and obviously you, you i know you applied the learnings from that situation with the fifth one uh, mm -hmm. for the, for the next three for sure Definitely. And honestly, the biggest asset that I got out of the entire thing was the recognition that the money was not the most valuable part of that journey. It was actually the knowledge, the experience, the, um, the, you know, kind of ability to ride the entrepreneurial roller coaster and enjoy the ups and downs and, and just love the journey. Um, that became like very true right away that that was like really the the most valuable asset above and beyond everything cuz what you said is absolutely true where you know the the step back financially was a test for sure for my like you know cuz that's the moment where all these things that we hear about as entrepreneurs of like your your net worth is not your self worth like it's cool to repeat that but when that belief gets like you actually have to put that into practice it's difficult to, to kind of actually come to that conclusion. Um, even though everyone likes to say failure is just data, 
when you fail, like it can be a, a bit of a, a blow to your ego and that's necessary. You know, it, it really is like that has been, I would n- not trade that situation for, for anything. You know, I was like a million bucks in the hole at one point and was able to climb out and then, you know, it did not declare chapter 11 or anything like that. I was able to climb out and um, actually make some things happen in this last exit. You know, we were pretty close to, to zero when we started and we're at, you know, we exited for just south of 70 million. So, and that was the three-year track. Um, so, I mean, that's all testament though to everything that came before it. And I think there are a lot of gurus out there that talk about how you're supposed to learn in your twenties and earn in your thirties and forties, et cetera. Right. And, um, it's nice to be able to say that after you're in your twenties. But at the time when I was in my twenties, even though I heard that, I'm like, I'm trying to win. Like, what am, what are we doing here? I'm not just trying to learn. I'm trying to actually like put these lessons in place and try to win. So, you know, in hindsight, I can see how that belief would be easier for me to stomach. But at the time, like I was absolutely trying to win and then just had my, 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 my whole self, view questioned, uh, and rightfully so. I mean, there's, there was just a lot more to learn than I was willing to admit at that point in time. And it put me in a place where I was able to do some of the things that I've done since. That's great stuff. And, uh, never stop learning. Um, just keep going. Cause he, the experiences that you pick up, you know, as, as you get into your, your forties, your fifties, your sixties, your seventies, your eighties, yeah. it, 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 it keeps things moving. And also, it also keeps your, and you know this, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a good reminder for those that are listening, you know, never stop learning because it keeps your brain active, which means it keeps the rest of your body active. So you don't start breaking down so soon because Absolutely. you see it time and time again, people retire and then they just stop doing things. And yeah. all of a sudden you, you know, they're gone within a year and a half and you're like, wait a minute, how that, how did that happen? It's because yeah. they, they stopped existing or doing things they just kind of existed it's like don't i i when i'm done i want this thing to be so worn out and so used that you know i'm going to get everything i possibly can out of it but a lot of it's going to start in between my ears and 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 really move things forward and learn from it so uh, i'm not going to ask you about you know what the ninth exit's going to be but i'm assuming (laughs) there'll be there'll be some of those because it's you know like we joked at the beginning of the pre-show i said i think you've got commitment issues but that that's but but again it's like you you create something and then you're like okay you build it up and then it's like okay mm-hmm. then somebody buys it and then they take it and they do mm-hmm. something with it and that's that's the beauty of of what you do is because you create something someone grabs it and then they run with it and hopefully totally. they make it bigger and better if not it's on them you know it mm-hmm. worked when i had it you know but sure. it, you know but it's just again one of those things where the art of being able to create something out of a thought or something mm-hmm. written down on a piece of paper, that's magical shit, man. And it's it just, it's, it's really, really cool that, that you're doing. So yeah, just, Thanks. you know, what, what are things going on for you, you know, you know, over the next couple of years? Yeah. And I mean, you're probably right, by the way, I'm sure that there are some commitment issues in there and especially early on, on in my career where I was multitasking like crazy and didn't recognize that the depth at which I was able to focus on something would be the the single most prevalent barometer to how large of a win I could create. Um, but like in hindsight, it accelerated my learning curve so much 
um, that that was like a, a weird unintended consequences. At the time, I was hedging. I was afraid of failing at one. So I didn't want to go into just one. So I was kind of like hedging in that way where I was protecting myself by doing another thing just in case I had to swing to that branch. Not realizing that in my efforts to say, stay safe in that way, I was actually putting myself in more danger. Um, so that was like a big, a big lesson learned. Uh, and in terms of the way forward, uh, let's see, the company that I'm building right now is called Growth Team. The inevitable vision of it is to completely replace a full-time head of growth with artificial intelligence. We're not there yet. Um, we've refined the methodology, taking all the playbooks that I've compiled over the last 14 years, um, learning from some of the top growth leads in the world, the, the, the deepest and most pre uh, prevalent growth leads in Silicon Valley, um, you know, Sean Ellis, Brian Balfour, many, many others, uh, and several, you know, really, really smart unicorn level founders and, and whatnot, taking all that information and trying to create one unified theory of everything for business growth. Um, I think that would be a kind of a little bit of a pipe dream if it were all businesses, but we have started to refine that method for specific types of businesses. Um, so in essence, like right now, it is a human powered sort of machine. Uh, inevitably, we're taking bites out of that with, with artificial intelligence, with the intent to you know create that same level of awesomeness that you can only find if you hire one of the world's best growth leads uh, to, to run growth for your company um, with the intention to bring it to other companies that would never in a million years be able to afford that sort of person, uh, but want the same level of benefit or something around there. Uh, so that's in essence what we're trying to create right now. Uh, that then hinges from the belief that you know, true wealth comes from an exchange of value. It's not making money from or off of people. It's, you know, exchanging value, one form of value for another form of value. Um, ensuring that the folks that are paying us money, for example, are very clearly and very transparently getting far more than what they, you know, um, parted ways with. With that philosophy, it's been a really, really useful kind of tool for us to say, not only how do we create this value, but how do we display it in a place that you cannot miss so that your retention rate is, is always, you know, in contrast to what that number is you show them. Um, and, you know, through that lens, you know, we've been able to kind of make a, a pretty, a pretty gutsy guarantee for the companies we do elect to work with. We, we double their growth rate in 90 days or um, all their money is refunded and we give them like four figures in cash for wasting their time. Um, so because of that, we're super, super selective, obviously. Um, but you can, you know, kind of take a look and see what we're up to uh, at Growth Team. That's amazing work. And I look forward to seeing how that all plays out because it's going to make a huge impect. So Travis, love this conversation. Uh, where can people find out more about you and this, all this amazing work you're doing? I am finally on social media for the first time in my, in my career. I always thought it was a huge, huge distraction. Uh, but, um, you know, just based on, you know, the, the kinds of people that I'm trying to connect with and trying to make as big of an impact as I possibly can for people who want to learn. I am now on Instagram, just at Travis Steffen, S-T-E-F-F-E-N. Um, same thing on Twitter. And then on LinkedIn, it's just linkedin.com slash in slash T Stefan. Um, I am active on all three of those places every day. Awesome. I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So Travis, congratulations again on all the success and experiences. And thank you for your time today and really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks. Likewise. 
Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.